Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. to be able to cut something. I also learned that a knife cannot sharpen itself. And that, an, and that iron can't be sharpened by something weaker than iron. So if you're trying to sharpen iron, you can't pick up a piece of plastic and think that that's going to sharpen it. Okay? And I believe that the same is true for our friendships. We can't do it by ourselves. Ecclesiastes 4 and 12 says, A person standing alone, so if we're by ourselves... We're not going to be sharpened. It says that we, if we stand alone, we can, be, we can be attacked and defeated. It says, but two, so you join yourself with a friend, and two can stand back to back and they can conquer, and three are even better. So when we add the Lord into that mix, a triple braided cord is not easily broken. And likewise, we can't be sharpened by people who are weaker than us. So these fair weather friends, maybe frenemies, ungodly friends, they're not going to be able to sharpen us. We need strong, godly friends to sharpen us. We need friends who's going to help us, not hinder us, especially spiritually. 1 Corinthians 15 and 33 says, Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good habits. So those people are not going to help us. And so I hope that today we can all have a friend somewhere that we can think of that challenges us to be better than we are. Those friends can sharpen us in areas that they're strong in. And that's okay if we're not strong in the area. If we can link up with someone who is, it makes a huge difference. Proverbs 13 and 20 says, He who walks with the wise grows wise. So that's why it's good to be around people that are stronger, people that are wiser. When we think of sharpening a blade or sharpening ourselves, there's a purpose. There's a purpose. It's an in, there's an intentional reason why people sharpen things and why we should sharpen ourselves. If you think about it in terms of a chef, he doesn't sharpen his knife so it can just lay pretty on a counter. There's no use in it there. So sharpening is done to make it more effective. And that's the same case if we think about ourselves. We want to be more effective. We want to be better than where we are or who we are. In Hebrew, the word sharpen means exactly what we would translate it in, in um, English. It means to be sharp, to be alert, to be keen. And so when you put those words together, iron sharpens iron, basically it means a tool being used to sharpen another tool for the purpose of helping both tools be sharper. And that was what that's the purpose that they're designed for. And that's the whole purpose of friends. That's the whole goal of friends is I want to sharpen you and you sharpen me so that we can be the best that we can for the purpose of serving God. Now there's a second part of that verse. I know... Growing up, I've, I've always heard iron sharpens iron, but the second part of that verse there is there. It talks about the countenance of a friend. And the Hebrew translation of countenance is the word that we use for face or presence. 
It's the same word that's often used in the Bible to describe our posture towards God when we say in seeking the face of God. It's our posture to him. And likewise, the same way, if he's looking down to us, it's that same presence, it's that face. That's what that word means. So to me, I look at that and I read it and I understand it to be an intimate posture. If I'm seeking the face of God, I promise it's not going to be in wrath. If I'm seeking God, it's not going to be in let me tell him something. It's going to be that I can come up to him and I don't want him to sharpen me. So when I have my countenance is to him, that I can seek him. And it's not to rebuke him. It's not to be harsh. In the same way, I'm not, it's the same way I want to be to my friends. I don't ever want to say anything that's going to be, oh, I'm sharpening you. It's to cut you. It's not to cut you. I realize that the sharpening process, it does cause friction. I had a study about this. Physics in um, high school. I was just really glad to have a good partner. I'll tell you that. <laughs> it was not my subject at all. Um, but sharpening causes friction. It causes heat, even um, sparks and fire. But I don't believe that this verse is encouraging that excuse to send sparks flying or to stir the pot or to belittle somebody or to tear somebody down. Because if you think of the result, it's not sharpening anybody. The result of that does not lead to any biblically rooted solution. And it's going to do very, very little to move us towards maturity. So I don't believe that that's the whole, what that verse means is just attack somebody with your sharpened knife at all. I do think that there's going to be friction caused by differences and disagreements. I can remember a long time ago, uh, my grandma who was married, my grandparents were married 73 years, and it, it, it just shocked me when she told me there's not two people that think the same. And I thought, well, how did you make it 73 years and not think the same? But she's right. She's right. So there will be friction caused by differences or disagreements because we're not all the same. But when that temptation rises... And we think that, okay, it's time to put on the boxing gloves. It's time to tear somebody down. I believe that we have to think about how it's best to sharp, sharpen somebody, and that's by praying and by speaking the truth in love. I love Ephesians 4 and 15. It says, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. And isn't that the goal? Isn't that the goal and the result of iron sharpening iron? It's to grow, to be more like Christ. I love it. And we can all benefit from the differences of friends around us. I believe that. When iron sharpens iron, we all grow in a desire to seek God's face. I want to talk just a couple of minutes about um, how a friend can challenge you to be better. I hope that we're all open to wanting to be better. And um, and doing that, I want to give, give you just a couple of ways that a friend can help challenge you so that if this happens in your life take it for what God is is intended it for and in the same way maybe if you you know how to be a good friend by by maybe some of these ways as well so the first way is encouragement one way a good friend can challenge you to be better is by offering encouragement Barnabas was known as the son of consolation or the son of encouragement he was gifted at reconciling people who had been at odds that's an awesome thing. He was a peacemaker. He was, he was amazing. I want to be like Barnabas. And one example is seen through his friendship with Saul. The early church was very skeptical of Saul's conversion. They remember when they saw Saul, well, that's the guy who killed my friend. That's the guy who was a part of killing my family. That's what they saw when they saw Saul. Thank you. 
So it wasn't easy for them to just embrace him. Perhaps maybe some of them thought, well, this is just a hoax. He's trying to entrap us. And understandably, how would you have responded if you were told that the greatest enemy of the church had changed sides? So if you put yourself in their shoes, you might have had the same reaction. Have you ever been hesitant to trust someone who was different than you? Or maybe didn't you just didn't hit it off initially? Maybe, but maybe it just took some time to appreciate the challenges and the differences that they actually presented. That's happened to me in, in multiple cases. I'll tell you one. Um, back when I was a teenager, the highlight of our weeks were going to what we called youth explosions. And back then, it was Friday nights, different churches, and then all the youth would gather and, and just have a youth service. And then the next day, we'd come back and we'd play ball, picnic. And things like that. It was a great way to fellowship, great way to um, have church with, with other young people. And this one, probably the most memorable one uh, that we had went to was down in Ruskin. I remember. I have details on this one. <laughs> and uh, I remember it was a, a good church service. But what I remember about that is it, the, everybody locally that we always knew that always showed up was there. But in addition, there were a couple of young people that came from out of town that we weren't familiar with. We really didn't know them. And um, the ball game is what I remember the most. Honestly, I remember the ball game more than the service. I'm sorry. But at that ball game, now, my youth group was made up of a whole bunch of girls. And so we weren't very athletic. So when we played ball, we played for just fun and really to laugh at each other. And we did a lot of that. And we were so thankful because the other churches that were there, they were so gracious to us, and they just allowed us to be so terrible. We weren't the last to be picked and everything. They were just so nice to us. But what I remember about that ball game is those couple of guys that came from the out-of-town church that we didn't know, they were there. And um, to say there was a bad impression, first impression is is just to say that very lightly. It's They um, were very competitive, exact opposite of what we were they weren't playing for fun. They were playing for blood. They were ugly. They were just screaming at people who didn't do what they were doing. And they didn't know us, but it, was, it did not stop them from just being ugly on the ball field. That's how I, I still believe that to this day. So, well, we got through the game. Never wanted to see these people again in my life. Just for two months later to go to youth camp up in Live Oak, and they showed up. And not only did they show up, how they remembered me, I don't know. And they're walking up to me and talking to me. And, I, you know, I'm kind of like that early church. Well, I don't know to trust that you're really being nice right now. You know, how are you going to act in another hour? Or I was really hesitant. To make a long story short, I married that guy <laughs> two years later. <laughs> 21 years later. Well, I'm here. He's not. But <laughs> I will say, I will say that today I appreciate our, our differences, most of them, some of them. <laughs> Let me just say I appreciate our differences. <laughs> but he really is, and honestly, he's stronger, he's smarter, and he's better than me in so many ways. And I need that. I need him. 
I need him to be better than me. I need him to be stronger than me. And I'm thankful for that. So if he wants to be competitive and he still is, it's okay. (laughs) It's okay. But many times what I've noticed is that God can use our differences to really improve one another's weaknesses. And that's what I need the most. But Barnabas, back to Barnabas. So the thing about Barnabas is he was less hesitant and he was more willing to listen to the story of Saul's conversion. And sometimes we have to be sensitive to the needs of others. I know it's been mentioned a couple times recently, but here again, we have to get beyond ourselves. We have to get beyond ourselves. There's times that we need to listen just to understand, not to respond, not to have some sharp comment back, but just listen. Listen to what other people are saying. And so that was Barnabas. And Barnabas had that ability to bring that early church and the acceptance of Saul into the church. He believed in him, and he recruited Saul for ministry. And we know that Saul became Paul, and that he traveled with Barnabas on mission trips, and he spread the gospel right alongside with Paul. And I believe that Paul's ministry rested largely on the efforts of Barnabas, who believed in him, who befriended him, who encouraged him to fulfill the ministry to which he was called to serve. Now, eventually, Paul and and Barnabas, they did disagree. They didn't agree on everything. And at at one point, they actually did separate ways. But they still held a very mutual respect for one another. You never read anywhere in Scripture where any of them spoke really bad about them. They both left, and they took. that's fine that they disagreed, but they still furthered the gospel of Christ. And I want a friend like Barnabas, and even more, I want to be Barnabas to others because we need others in our lives to sharpen and encourage us like he did. Amen. The second thing that um, I believe is important when we're sharpening each other, to challenge each other, is, is how to disciple or mentor or partner. I believe that one way a good friend can challenge you to be better is by partnering with you. And I'll explain that. If you know Zig Ziglar, this real positive guy, he says a lot of good things. But he used to tell a story about how Belgian horses are trained to work together. And how it made these incredible animals so much more effective. See, Belgian horses are huge. And they're very, very powerful animals. And one Belgian horse can pull more than 8,000 pounds. Very strong horse. So the weird thing, though, is if you put two Belgian horses together who are strangers, so they, they're just, they don't even know each other, haven't been um, introduced. So you put two of them together. They don't just double the amount they can pull to 16,000. They actually triple it to 24,000. By working together. And then if you spend some time training them to work together first, then that unified pair can pull a whopping 32,000 pounds when they're trained to work together. That's four times what a single horse can do alone. And that story reminds me that relationships and friendships are very, very powerful and even so much more whenever we put some time and training that and we invest in them. And that's, that's what Paul ended up doing with Timothy. So you have Barnabas that took to um, Paul, and then Paul did the same thing in Timothy. And Paul was a mentor. He was a wise teacher. He was a trusted supporter. And I love that there's several verses that you read to where Paul refers to Timothy as his son. That's my son. That's my true son in the faith. But Paul invested into him. He mentored him. He spent time with him because sharpening takes time. 
It doesn't happen in a few seconds. It doesn't happen with just one single conversation. It takes time. But I love that in another verse, you read that Paul calls Timothy a fellow worker. He's now a partner. So Timothy went from being a son to being a student and now a partner. I think that's awesome because if you think about how do we become the person God wants us to be? Because we need to find someone who's a little bit further down the road than we are. Somebody maybe that can hear things that we can't hear yet or see things that we're not sure that we don't see yet. We need someone who's going to take us under our wings, spend time with us, and challenge us to draw closer to God. And then I want to talk a little bit about, to me, the most important. It's one of the most important characteristics of being a friend, in my opinion. That's my opinion. But it's accountability. One way a good friend can challenge you is to hold you accountable. And I don't want to lose you. Are we still friends? <laughs> okay, good. So I to make sure. But I, I, I appreciate somebody that can hold me accountable. I, I want someone to be honest with me, sharpen me by holding me accountable to who I am, who I profess to be. I don't ever want to be inauthentic. I want to be genuine and live to who I say I am. And I don't know of anybody who had those kind of friends in their lives more than David did. It amazes me how many friends that he had that looked out for him, like good friends. And I know that we're familiar with his friendship with Jonathan. They had a very, very special, very sacred relationship. Jonathan was a good friend. And I don't want to spend too much time on Jonathan. But I love that the scripture in First Samuel 23 and 16 says that Jonathan helped David find his strength in God. David was the guy who killed the, the Goliath. You know, he could have thought that that was on his strength, that that was in his ability. But Jonathan pointed him back and said, your strength, find your strength in God, even after that. So I think that's amazing. He was a great, great friend. And a good friend will always point you back to God. David also had a close friendship with a man named Joab. Joab was his nephew, his army commander, and one of his mighty men. Joab was very strong, and he was very ambitious, in my opinion, too ambitious. But David allowed some things in his life that we're familiar with that brought about years of dysfunction, years and years of things that, that just shouldn't have been and, and didn't have to be. But the problem is, it wasn't that David had some dysfunction, I think, God called him despite that. I believe that God used him despite that. But the issue was how he dealt with it. What, how he dealt with it caused him trouble. His biggest mistake was that he became disengaged. That he started to pull himself away from what he was supposed to do. His role as king, he pulled himself away. And what happened when he was disengaged was he had a son by the name of Absalom who was very engaged. And his son Absalom for four years would sit in that gate and start interacting with the people. And David didn't interact with his people. And so Absalom won the hearts of the people. Now all of a sudden, David's back there disengaged, not really caring about much. And Absalom's about to steal the throne right from under his dad. So eventually there was a battle for the throne. Absalom got caught by his hair, his beautiful hair, in a tree. And then that friend Joab, that army commander of David, came and killed him, hanging in the tree. Now, in my opinion, Joab was not really a good person. I know it sounds like he was great and loyal, and he was loyal. But he did make some terrible choices. But I will say that Joab was loyal to David for many years. And after Absalom died, 
it's really neat to read how he approached David after Absalom died. And how he approached him was very critical to the saving of his kingdom. If, if Joab did anything right, it was this one thing that he did right. He didn't approach David with comfort, but he approached him with confrontation and with accountability. We read in 2 Samuel 18 and 19, David is weeping and he's mourning over the death of his son Absalom. He is so focused on what he has lost that he is about to lose what he has left. And then in 2 Samuel 19 and verse 7 and 8, Joab says this. This is how Joab approached David. So he's over there and he's wallowing. He's sad and he's upset, understandably. But he's been disengaged for far too long. This has been going on for far too long. So Joab steps up, and this is what he says to David. Basically, he says, get up. You can't do this anymore. He says, now go out there and congratulate your troops. For I swear with the Lord that if you don't go out, not a single one of them will remain here tonight. You're going to lose what you have left, is what he's telling him. Then you will be worse off than ever before. You think you have it bad sitting here mourning your son? It's going to get worse if you don't get up. He's being very real with him. And so the Bible says that the king went out, and he took his seat at the town gate. There's a lot to be said in that. That Joab spoke to David, and he was right. The kingdom was at stake. And it was much to be said about how the way that David took it, because David didn't just say, oh, get out of here, I'm mourning. He heeded to what his friend was telling him. You're right, it's enough, it's enough. I need to get out there, I'm the king. He reminded him who he was and what his place was. And so he went out and he took his throne back. Now, David was heartbroken. It's hard. Sometimes it's hard to hear those things. I know Brother Chris talked about that last week. Those faithful wounds of a friend, they're maybe not be easy to hear. But in this case, David was heartbroken, but his kingdom was saved because somebody spoke up, because somebody held him accountable to his position and pushed him to get up when he wanted to give up. And that's what true friends do. They're going to tell you when you aren't living up to your potential, and it's not to hurt you. But they don't want you to sit there and be mediocre when you've got greatness in you. They're going to challenge your feelings, not just justify them. I need a friend who's going to do that. I know how you feel, but don't justify it. You know. They're going to challenge you when you're wrong and support you when you're right. And they're going to stand by your side and they're going to help you. That's the kind of friends I need. That's the kind of friends I want. And if we don't have those friends in our lives for accountability and confession, then there's a big chance that we can end up just like David, isolated and disengaged. True friends will lift you higher, and they're going to challenge you to walk in a manner that's pleasing to the Lord. And that's the faithful friend that David had in Nathan, the prophet Nathan. And that's where I want to kind of focus a couple minutes, is Nathan. After David sinned with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband Uriah, the Bible says that in 2 Samuel 12 and 1 says that the Lord sent Nathan to David. Nathan confronted David, and when he did, he did it with such a well-crafted approach. He knew that the sin was there, but the way that he approached him, it wasn't throwing daggers, it wasn't out of hate, it wasn't out of, of, of anything nasty, but he had to confront him, and he used so much wisdom. I think it was so neat. He told this story about a sheep, which to me related to David's experience as a shepherd. He talked about the judgment and how do you handle this. And I love that because it appealed to David's wisdom, his judgment, and to his knowledge of the law. So David could understand 
And he, being that that was his experience and that was his knowledge, he couldn't deny it. He couldn't say, I don't know what you're talking about, because he did. And then in 2 Samuel 12 and 7, Nathan said unto David, Thou art the man. Big words. That's putting a mirror right in front of his face. We need friends that can be mirrors like that. He said, Thus saith the Lord of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel. So once again, he reminded David and held him accountable to who he was. You're the king. And sometimes we have to be reminded that. We can wander off a little too far, and we need that friend that's going to say, hey, let me remind you of who you are. Let me put that mirror. This is who you profess to be. This is who God's anointed you to be. There's no shame in that. There's, there's no hurt in that. That's someone that's trying to protect you. Now, Nathan could have defended his friend, and he could have attempted to justify his sins, but instead he rose to the challenge, and he helped turn his friend back to God. Nathan brought David to repentance. And that essentially saved his soul. That's real. That's real friendship right there. And I love this, the NLT version of the Bible in James 5, 19 to 20. I love this so much to me. It goes right to Nathan and David. It says, my dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. Wow. That's friendship. That's friendship. That's someone who's looking out for us. That's someone who wants us to, to, to be saved. I need those people. Hold me accountable to the word of God. So there's things that we learn from both David and Nathan. Well, the thing that we learn from David is that when he's being sharpened and he's being rebuked, that he saw the love of a friend. He didn't take it the wrong way. He didn't get sensitive. And, and not only that, but he didn't take his power and then curse them. He didn't respond with bitterness, but he responded with a godly sorrow that worketh his repentance. It's a lot to be said of that. That's a great, a great characteristic of, of anybody, of any friend that can accept that. From Nathan, we see a willingness to save a friend's soul despite all the risks. His rebuke could have cost him his friendship, it could have cost him his life, but he was willing to risk it all just to save his friend. And I think one of the most beautiful things out of this whole thing with Nathan and David was that David penned Psalms 51 out of that experience. And David said, you know he was right, and you know he was genuine. He said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. I love it. A good friend's going to challenge you to be better. Amen. We still friends? Accountability. We need each other. We need a voice of another believer. We need the voice of wise counsel. I don't ever want Brother Boyd to stop telling me to bring something to the altar. If, it's, if I have to feel the weight, then I need to feel the weight. I don't ever want his voice to, to silence in my life. We need that. We may not like what they say. It may be uncomfortable to hear. It may even cause a few sparks to fly. But a friend that holds you accountable is protecting your life and your salvation. 1 Corinthians 10 and 13 says that when you are tempted... He will make a way of escape. And I think a lot of times we physically think, well, what's the way to escape? 
But sometimes it may be those challenging words from wise counsel that if you would heed to, that's your way to escape. That's your way out of, of temptation. They're trying to help you. But we need each other today. Jesus said that in this world you will have trouble. And sometimes I think we just quote that because we've heard it all our lives, but that alone, in this world we will have trouble, that alone just tells me we're going to need somebody to help us because we're going to run into some trouble. We need someone who's going to listen and be objective to encourage and to challenge us. The early church understood that importance. Acts 2 and 42 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. That's so true even today. We need to stay in fellowship with God's people because there's a difference between just coming to church and then being the church. Being the church, you're committed to one another. You're committed to praying for one another, helping each other and sharpening each other. Right now, I believe that we could be sitting anywhere. We could have just stayed home. We could have went to another church. We could have went anywhere. But instead, we're here trying to sharpen one another, trying to help each other, trying to lift each other up. We need each other for that. We need our local church. We need our assembly more than anything. And I want to, to close with just talking about, in my opinion, the greatest friendship that there ever was, that we could ever talk about, that we could ever, that we could ever speak about. And that's the friendship between Jesus and us. What a friend we have in Jesus. John 15 and 14, Jesus called us his friends. Before we were born, he knew us. After we sinned, he loved us. When we repented, he forgave us. When we pray, he hears us. He was born and he died to save us. And he loves us enough to sharpen us, to give us things like this, to give us his word. He challenged us with parables and teachings like go and sin no more. And in that, it, he wasn't ever trying to be divisive. He wasn't trying to be ugly, but he just pointed out the best way to live. And in that, he pointed it out and he lived it out. And I'm thankful for that. He loves us enough to sharpen us. He loves us too much to leave us dull, to leave us dull, to be a danger to ourselves. And that's my prayer that God, that you would sharpen me. God, that you would send people in my life to sharpen me, to shape me into who I'm supposed to be in him. Oh, Jesus, I pray, God, until he is seen through me. If I have to be pruned so I can grow, then do it, God. But he is the best friend that we could ever have. He is the best friend that we could ever have. I'm going to end there, but I'm going to ask you to stand, if you will. Are we still friends? Okay, so we're going to pray. <laughs> I don't want to pray by myself. But would you join me in prayer? And let's have a great service. Let's welcome the Lord into this place. Jesus, I love you so much, God. I thank you, God, for your faithful love, God. Lord Jesus, sharpen me, God, Lord, with your word. Shape me, God, to who you want me to be, God. Help me, Jesus, Lord, to live by the words of Jesus that I speak, God. Lord, I thank you, God, for your word, God, that it won't return void. I thank you, Jesus, Lord, for the friends that you placed in my life. 
Lord Jesus, I ask you, Jesus, Lord, to help me, God. Lord Jesus, indeed, God, the prayer that you've called me to be. Lord, we love you, Jesus. Lord, I ask you, Jesus, Lord, to move in a mighty way in this service, God. Lord, bring us, Lord, to unity today, God, to worship you, Jesus, in spirit and truth, God. Lord Jesus, I praise your mighty holy This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.